can time it right. It's this artful craft to have a, a pounce that is eloquent. It's contextual. It doesn't scare people off. It takes a lot of like left brain, right brain kind of combination. And our reps who have figured out the the art of observing digital body language and having a thoughtful pounce, as we call it, or greeting, we generate a ton of pipeline directly from our website. I would say over half of our pipeline comes from real-time website conversations using our own product. And those tools that you get before you say hello are what makes it work because it's not a one-size-fits-all bot. It's not a blind greeting. It is. Um, it just sets you up for success. And Blake was probably who Craig was referencing. She was our superstar first inbound sales rep. She's now a thriving account executive. She's a leader on our AE team. And she's such a good AE because she used our product. She knows the ins and outs. So when she's selling it to our buyers, she can speak with confidence to how, how well it worked for her and how it got her promoted, really. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Maura Rivera. Maura is the Chief Marketing Officer at Qualified. And in our conversation today, we start by talking about Maura's professional journey, how she started her career as an executive assistant, and how she rose from there to be the Chief Marketing Officer of a very successful SaaS startup. We then dig into what CMOs need to be focused on as the economy starts to soften in terms of how they are working with and supporting the efforts of their sales teams and how they can help improve down funnel execution. We also talk about the importance of being able to read the digital body language of your buyers. You've heard about the cues that are given off by our physical body language, but what about digital body language? What does it mean and how does it impact how you communicate in a digital environment? We get into all of this and much, much more. But before we get to Maura, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it, on iTunes or Spotify. And I also want to remind you to check out my latest book, Sell Without Selling Out. It's a modern human-centric framework for increasing win rates and shortening decision cycles without resorting to the salesy behaviors that your buyers dislike so much. It's available everywhere you shop for books, online, and in stores. All right, let's jump into it. Maura, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Andy. I'm excited. Yeah, glad to have you here. So um, for people maybe who aren't familiar with you, tell us who you are, what you do. Yeah, so my name is Maura Rivera. I am the chief marketing officer at a company called Qualified. Um, we are a pipeline generation platform. So we work with mm -hmm. B2B companies to help them generate more pipeline from their website. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure many people have come across uh, qualified in their journeys through the through the internet. Um, but you have an interesting journey yourself as to a, becoming a, a CMO. You started as like an, an admin, right? I career? did. I did. Yeah. My first job out of college um, was an executive assistant at Salesforce for the CMO of Salesforce. Um, right. So I got super lucky that I landed at that company fresh out of college. Um, and that CMO, fast forward to today, is the founder of Qualified. So we've right. worked together for the last 12 years. Um, he's really been a, a great mentor for me. We've worked together at four different companies now. Um, and I've just kind of 
been one of his partners in the marketing org and, and, um, we've worked at a few different companies. I've always focused more on product marketing and customer marketing. Mm -hmm. And then I had this opportunity to join qualified as, as marketer number one. Um, and fast forward to today, we are about 200 employees. We have about 30 marketers and I kind of oversee the team. So it's been a fun, a fun journey for sure from EA to CMO. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's go back to the beginning. So when you came out of college, what were you looking to do? Yeah. When I came out of college, so it was 2010 and there weren't a ton of jobs available. It was kind of like on the heels of the financial crisis. Mm -hmm. And I went to Santa Clara University, so kind of in the heart of Silicon Valley. Right. And I knew I wanted to work for a tech company. I knew I wanted to go into technology. Sure. I knew I wanted to go into marketing. Um, and I kind of landed at Salesforce. I actually first started in a contract position as a recruiting coordinator. And mm -hmm. a few months into it, it was like, hey, this company is awesome. Um, but I don't know if recruiting is what's for me. And I went to Dreamforce, I think my first month at the company. And I was just wide eyed. I looked around <laughs> and was like, is this what software conferences are are like? Yeah, they're all they're all just like that, right? <laughs> they all have Metallica. Um, right. They're all massive in San Francisco, and I right. remember thinking I was super proud to work at Salesforce, and I wanted to be part of the team that helped put on these incredible events, that helped bring these customer stories to life, that helped market these visionary products on stage, um, and shortly thereafter the opportunity to um, be an executive assistant to the CMO came up. So a few months into my tenure at Salesforce, and I thought, what a great way to get my foot in the door. I remember um, my dad told me when I was kind of considering it, he's like, think of this as a condensed MBA program. You're going to learn from one of the best of the best from a marketing perspective at one mm -hmm. of the best companies in the world. And I'm so glad I took that role because it's shaped the team I've worked with over the last 12 years. It has shaped um, really my career and, and where I am today because I kind of, I took that first position. So it was really foundational to the next yeah, decade. That, right, and, but it, it also, I think, yeah, took a certain amount of, I don't know, foresight, maybe even courage to say, look, I just got my degree and I'm becoming an admin. Totally. Is to be able to, to, to be all right. I mean, that had to have been on your mind a little bit, right? hundred percent. I, yeah. um, you, I, well, first off, I think being an executive assistant is one of the hardest jobs in the world. You have well, to work with yeah. a ton of being different an agent for a celebrity, I think. <laughs> totally. You have to work with all these different personalities. You have to anticipate the needs of your executive and different executives at the mm -hmm. company. You have to make sure you are adaptable from a personality perspective. But I definitely had that moment of, is this what I, is this the right move for me in my career? I just got my degree. Do I want to be someone's assistant? Um, right. But in hindsight, I'm so glad I did because I learned more in that two years about the ins and outs of marketing, how to put on an event. I got to sit by, Craig is our founder and was a CMO at the time, got to mm -hmm. sit by his side as we looked at pipeline generation as we examined the website, what was working, what wasn't like Salesforce was really getting put on the map in those couple years. And sure, I got sure. to go to the world tours. I got to travel to Tokyo to world tour Tokyo and go to all of these events. And I kind of just got to be a fly on the wall and also build relationships. So I went on to work in some other marketing roles after that, 
because mm-hmm. of the relationships I had built with, as kind of with my time as a as a EA. So, what was that transition like, though, when you said, "Okay, enough of this, <laughs> Greg, yeah. thank you," but yeah, I want to hop into a marketing role. What what was sort of the reception you got when you said, "Okay, I want to do that." Yeah, Craig and I's agreement when I started was I would do the EA role for 18 to 24 months. He -hmm. was interested in somebody who wanted to learn the ropes and go on and kind of grow their career, which is really awesome because, you know, a lot of executives want somebody for life who knows the ins and outs of their routine. So that was very selfless. Um, And so the time came. And at kind of the 18 month mark and Craig said, pitch me a plan. What do you want to do on the marketing team here at Salesforce? You've you've seen it all. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was really interested in either an events position or kind of a social and content position. Um, And so I talked with the leaders of those organizations. I pitched them on the role that I could have. And I ultimately decided to move forward um, and really help run kind of the on-demand webinar program within Mm -hmm. the social team at Salesforce. We um, built it was called Salesforce Studios, which was like a hole in the closet of Spear Tower in San Francisco. And we tried to do really broadcasts for the first time. We would mm-hmm. do much like what you and I are doing right now, you know, we, sure. but it was very innovative at the time to have people on camera and we had a crew. We had this backdrop of the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, and so that was a fun role where I got to really own a program and not just be on the sidelines and I'd help create content. I'd be in the studio figuring out our kind of production schedule. And then, um, that kind of took me on my next chapter at Salesforce and the marketing team where I could spread my wings a little bit. Yeah, no, it's a great story. I mean, it it highlights the importance, I think, of a mentor. And I think for a lot of young people, specifically young women, um, Finding that mentor can really be crucial. I mean, how how would you how how do you advise? I presume because you do advise women on this is is to find that mentor. Yeah, that's a great question. I think you have to go out of your way and ask people if they're willing to help mentor you. I've Craig's been a fantastic mentor, but I also have other female mentors mm-hmm. who I appreciate their point of view um, on different things that I can't get from some of like the male leaders in my life. Um, I have some female mentors who are working moms and I go to them and I ask them how they balance it all. Um, How do they handle being, you know, one of few women at kind of an executive table, for instance. I think you need to find people who you look up to and ask them if they're willing to take the time to help you kind of navigate your career. And I think what goes around comes around. People are so willing to, um, put in the work and help advise if you just ask them, but you have to kind of go out of your way to seek that mentorship. It does. I I feel like I got lucky that it kind of fell into my lap, but it's not always so simple. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't don't think it is, but I think it's one of the things that doesn't either seems like a high hurdle to, to jump over or it doesn't cross people's mind is the fact that there are people out there who, if you ask and demonstrate the interest, will give of their time to, to mentor somebody. I mean, they have their best interests of the company at heart. They want to help people progress, uh, but you have to be proactive in it. Mm-hmm. And it's nice if you can like find somebody who's 10 to 15 years ahead of you in their career tra- trajectory because right. they've 
they've seen more than you have and they can really mm-hmm. help guide you with some wisdom. Yeah. Well, in your story, it's, it seems vaguely reminiscent too. I seem to recall a woman who was like one of the first VP of marketing at Apple started as, <laughs> as an, an EA as well. Okay, uh, I'll have to look into that. I think, if I, I may be off base, but I'm sure Gene Richardson, who then went on to become VP of Corporate Communications at Microsoft relatively early on. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Well, I think it's a good lesson that you have to yeah. work your butt off in every role you have because people are paying attention. So even if, yeah. you know, whatever role you have, if you work really hard at it, people take notice that you have the potential and you're a hard worker, even if it's like getting the best damn cup of coffee you can get so that you know when you're on to your next role, you're going right. to work hard at it. Yeah. and I, But also... I think the point you, you know, alluded to, you made a little bit earlier, it's just, yeah, don't let the position define you. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you have, if you have aspirations is you're going to have to be proactive about it and you can't necessarily be waiting around for people to recognize that, yeah, you've got this amazing talent is you have to sort of put yourself out there. Mm-hmm. hundred percent. Yeah. Well, we had Craig on the show last year, I think it was. Yeah, um, it, maybe even almost two years ago. I think it, it was right. like right on the um, heels of, of COVID, I remember. I think that summer of 2020. Yeah, it could have been. And um, I mean, congratulations. You guys just raised a bunch of money or oh, thank a few you. months ago. Yeah. Um, which seemed like you did it just in time. Yes. We feel, <laughs> we feel what, good about our timing for sure. Right. Um, well, let's talk about that a little bit. So, yeah, signs are we've got facing a slowing economy, certainly – Certainly venture investors seem concerned about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, valuations are down. We're starting to hear, you know, talk about layoffs and so on. So as a CMO, what's sort of top of mind for you as you plan for the next 6, 12, 18 months? Yeah, that's a really great question. It's super timely right now. We're doing a lot of scenario planning at Qualified. We're taking a hard look at our spend, at our hiring plans, and mm-hmm. just making sure we have a few options laid out um, as we kind of see how the world around us unfolds right now. As we look at marketing spend in particular, we there are a lot of things we're never going to cut as we look at, or we're very hesitant to cut, um, digital advertising, as we look at pipeline generating products. Mm-hmm. For us, those we want those to remain as untouched as possible. We are taking a look at some kind of fluffy things that we might invest in. We like to go big with video production, for example. And we're figuring out, are there some scenarios where we're a little bit scrappier with those type Mm -hmm. of content investments where we can bring some things in-house? But at the same time, we're on a roll as a company, so we don't want to hinder our growth. We don't want to get in the way of us generating pipeline, of us closing new business. But we Mm want to be smart about our investments for the latter half of the year. Um, So we're definitely taking a look at our spend, prioritizing the pipeline generating activities and seeing really what falls kind of below the line right now. Well, it seems like one of the real challenges traditionally for startups in a recession, having (laughs) been through a number myself, is that suddenly you have sort of (laughs) the same number of competitors contending for a smaller pool of dollars, right, from the customers. So from a marketing perspective, I mean, what what should marketers before, not necessarily you yourself, but I mean, marketers in general be focused on in terms of how they can help the sales teams, not 
top of funnel, more mid funnel and bottom of funnel Mm -hmm. as they run into a recession? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think the first thing is making sure they're armed with the right positioning. So for us, we're we're a pipeline generation platform. And Mm -hmm. the great thing about the time that we're at right now is pipeline generation is more important than ever for companies so they can keep their businesses growing and keep their businesses afloat. So I think um, enabling your sales team to shift their pitch a little bit to recognize the world around us is important. For instance, we just rolled out a new first call pitch deck and we are tweaking the narrative slightly to recognize the landscape around us. And mm-hmm. as you look, you know, has your company been affected by any of this stuff? What is, what are your priorities as you head into this new landscape? Um, and kind of folding in some new discovery questions so that they are just thoughtful about what's going on in the world around them. Um, so I think positioning is number one. Number two is making sure we have a really strong ROI story for our product that our sales team can tell. It's more mm-hmm. important than ever that companies who are buying new software have efficiency in mind. They see the return on the investment that they're making. So we're making sure that ROI stories, customer success stories, glowing customer reviews are kind of at the fingertips for all of our sellers so that they Mm -hmm. can really fold those into the discussions and then making sure that those assets are public facing and discoverable as well across our website, across our social channels. So there is just that strong ROI story and a lot of customer proof. That's what's going to help buyers make decisions right now. Um, and also being thoughtful about new stakeholders who might be involved in a sales cycle Mm -hmm. right now with everything going on in the world, maybe CFOs are going to be involved when they wouldn't have been on a budget approval. Um, there are probably going to be more people in the room, more approvals to be had for a sales cycle. So, um, making sure that we're lowering, any conflict there, that we have all the assets available that a CFO might need to make this decision, that we mm-hmm. are bending over backwards to make ourselves available for calls with those stakeholders to explain how everything works. Um, mm-hmm. And just that we're being adaptable in our sales cycle to things potentially changing or new people potentially being in the room. Yeah. I mean, for me, it seems like, again, is when you get into this type of situation that it's it's really about execution, right? Mm-hmm. And sort of curious your opinion about this because for a lot of software companies, they function on relatively, in my opinion, this is sort of a contrarian view, by the way, okay. is they function on, on relatively low win rates out of qualified opportunities. Mm-hmm. And I, I make the argument that in general, maybe SaaS companies have too many leads mm-hmm. that if you're only, if your win rates, we know that uh, there's research just came out that said across 15 different industry segments of which software was one, but average win rates on deals over a hundred thousand. So, you know, it could be a multi-year contract. We're at 17%. Okay. Um, which to me is just really low. Yeah, abysmally low, which says that you're at, in that environment, I think a lot of SaaS companies get into this, this mode is, you know, they're getting so good at top of funnel activity that they don't really sell anymore. They sort of play the odds, meaning that we know if we get, we close a certain percentage of these, we'll still be able to grow and hit our number. Yep. You can't do that in a recession. No, yeah. you've got to focus you, you, your sales reps on the right opportunities. Right. So 
it seems like for me is the priority, and that's why I was trying to lead with that last question is, is that the sellers have to get so much more precise in qualification and discovery, truly understanding what's most important to the buyer, things that's really going to drive the decision than they've been in the past. And I just, yeah, curious again, and maybe you, I think you partly answered that before, but it's, yeah, how does, how can marketing help that? Because I think this becomes the issue for sales teams over the next year or two. I think you're spot on, Andy. Um, here at Qualified, we take a slightly different approach because of the way we use our product. So mm -hmm. we actually are a little less bullish on capturing top of funnel leads. We're more focused on having conversations with people who meet your ideal customer profile mm -hmm. and turning those into pipeline for sales. So we do a weekly, we call it our pipeline cloud council, and we barely even look at leads generated. We're just focused on what's the pipeline we generated this week. What are the new at bats for sales that we generated mm -hmm. with people who meet our ideal customer profile? I think something that we experienced, we've had kind of a journey as a company when we sure. were really young, we wanted to talk to anybody, anybody who would talk to us, anybody who would look at our product. It did. We were, we were very loose on our ICP. We were like, we just want to get our product in the hands of people and make them successful. But although that helps you get kind of your name on the map, when it's time for renewals, like it's not always the best fit. So I think mm -hmm. in year two, we decided to be much more stringent on who we were selling to, do they fit our ideal customer profile? And we've continued to hold pretty tightly to those parameters that we've set. And it's helped our win rates go up a lot. And it's helped our renewals and expansions mm -hmm. go up a lot as well. One thing that we're, we're always figuring out is the quality of outbound generated pipeline right. because inbound is, is a slam dunk for the most part, right? You know people who get into a sales cycle, if they meet that criteria, you're going to have a healthy win rate. They're going to be a good fit. Outbound, you're, you, you're casting a wider net with who, you, who you're generating pipeline with. And so that's right. something we're working on right now is like, when do we qualify outbound pipeline when they're a little bit further down the sales cycle? Um, do we do more exploration and discovery with those people so we're not wasting our reps time with people who aren't ready to buy? And mm -hmm. I think rep productivity is paramount as we go into the next six months because oh, yeah. we need to optimize for closed business and we can't waste our time on people who aren't ready to buy. So... That's my way of saying I agree with you, but it's a lot of, we have a lot of discussions about that right now. Well, I'm sort of smiling at this because there's a whole body of, of people in the sales world that say, look, uh, you know, inbound leads, they close at lower rates, the, the oh, deal, really? size, yeah. deal size is smaller. And yeah, the only good lead is a you know, proactively developed outbound lead. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm like, no, there's no science in any of that at all. That's just ridiculous. Um, it's all based on how you deal with them. Once they, once you have the opportunity to talk with them, yep. that, that makes a difference. It doesn't matter how they originate. But I mean, like I said, it's sort of interesting. It's, you're sort of the first time I've heard somebody talk about it from the other perspective that, you know, inbound are going to be more robust than compared to what you develop. Now, maybe outbound. I'm biased since I'm a marketer. Well, I understand. Yeah, sure. But I just thought it was interesting pointing it out. But quite frankly, for people listening, it doesn't matter where they come from. So it's up to you at that point. Um, 
Well, one one topic I wanted to bring up because uh, we had touched on this once before before recording is I found fascinating is you sort of raised the question is how can we do a better job of reading digital body language? Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I've scanned through Erica Dewan's book. Uh, I haven't had a chance to read it in detail yet, but uh, define for people what digital body language is. Cause I think, again, we're talking about being more effective and more productive, especially in these what potentially leaner times coming up. So we need to do a better job with the real opportunities we have. Digital body language can certainly contribute to that or reading it more effectively. So tell us first what digital body language is. Yeah. So for me, digital body language is how your buyer is behaving across your digital properties Mm -hmm. that could be on your website or off your website, you know, what they're doing in search, what they're, what they're browsing, all of that fun stuff. We talk about kind of first party intent versus third party intent. And are they showing you signs that they're willing to buy? We mm-hmm. talk a lot about this concept of the anonymous buyer. We call it the rise of the anonymous buyer. And the fact is buyers today are not knocking on your front door and filling out a form. They are doing research independently. They're reading mm-hmm. review sites. They're checking out social proof. They're on LinkedIn. Right. They're browsing your website. They don't want to fill out a form. They don't want you to hit them with a gate. That's annoying. Um, right. So they're remaining anonymous longer, but when they are ready to buy you better be there ready to talk to them at the exact right time. So what we got really excited about digital body language because part of our product is we connect Salesforce with your website and you can see exactly how your website visitors are browsing your site. So Andy, if you're on qualified.com right now and then you're scanning the pricing page and then you move over to our customer stories, I could chime in and have a conversation with you and say, you know, hey, Andy, like, you know, welcome from the Andy Paul podcast. Are you interested in seeing how some podcasters like you are using our solution, for example? Mm -hmm. And it allows reps to have really contextual, really personalized conversations. Since we first launched our product and had kind of that window into website browsing activity that's you can see every scroll every mouse click it's Mm -hmm. it's really powerful reps love it um we've also layered in more buyer intent data so you can zoom back and you can see how is this account behaving over time what is the timeline of how they've interacted with my website what pages are they are they on Um, and then you can layer in even more information what ads did they click through to get here what outbound emails did they click through to get here Mm -hmm. so all of a sudden you have like this really 360 degree view of how this buyer has engaged with your digital properties before ever filling out a form or ever having a conversation with you. And it makes your rep super intelligent. And you have to have that intelligence to lead a productive, smart, personalized sales conversation. So it just makes reps more powerful. Yeah. Well, give an example of, again, you sort of got into a little bit is because I know from, I think it was interviewing Craig before, talking about, you know, you had written up a blog or qualified to written up a blog about how one of your top sellers got all their leads off of, you know, being that person that's saying, that's chatting as visitors on the website. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just some examples of our reps who've been um, super productive with it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, we really pride ourselves on, we call it qualified on qualified. How are we using our own product? Mm-hmm. We have a team of outbound sales reps. They're doing the traditional outbounding things. And then we have a team of inbound sales reps and their job 
all day, every day is to work the qualified application. It is to be logged in to see new visitors as they hit the site. You can see mm-hmm. um, just visitors who click through an outbound email, just visitors who click through an ad, just visitors who are in your target account. And then you can click into them. You kind of can focus on who do I want to pounce on next. You can sit back and observe their digital body language so you're not scaring them off. You give them a moment to orient themselves on the website, and then you can have a super personalized conversation. So we do reverse IP. We hook in with Salesforce. So if it's a known visitor, you know, welcome back, Andy. Thanks for mm-hmm. checking this out. If it's a new visitor and we don't um, know exactly who you are, hey, Revenue.io team, like any questions about our enterprise plan as you're browsing the pricing page, whatever it may be. And mm-hmm. if you can time it right. It's this artful craft to have a a pounce that is eloquent. It's contextual. It doesn't scare people off. It takes a lot of like left brain, right brain kind of combination. And our reps who have figured out the, the art of observing digital body language and having a thoughtful pounce as we call it, or greeting (laughs) We generate a ton of pipeline directly from our website. I would say over half of our pipeline comes from real-time website conversations using our own product. And those tools that you get before you say hello are what makes it work because it's not a one-size-fits-all bot. It's not a blind greeting. It um, It just sets you up for success. And Blake was probably who... Craig was referencing. She was our superstar first inbound sales rep. She's now a thriving account executive. She's a leader on our AE team. And she's such a good AE because she used our product. She knows the ins and outs. So when she's selling it to our buyers, she can speak with confidence to how, how well it worked for her and how it got her promoted really. Yeah. Well, I mean, so back to this sort of issue of sort of best practices is Mm -hmm as you said, you're reading the digital body language is, yeah, I, ma- I imagine companies that are using similar type platforms is, yeah, this becomes the art as you talk about is when do you jump in? I was just on website uh, <laughs> before coming on, not yours. And um, this sort of hit up right away. You could tell there's a timer, maybe 10 seconds on the site. And then, yep. It, somebody jumped in and, oh, hey, you're back again. And then I think the third time I went, hey, you're real regular, yada, yeah. yada, yada. So I, I presume that was all automated at that point. Uh-huh, probably. Well, I think what's and really we- important too is you're serving up your target visitors with that VIP human-to-human experience. Mm-hmm. But everybody else, because if you have tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of website visitors, you cannot look at digital body language of every visitor. You cannot right. curate a high touch experience. So what's so important is that you're segmenting your traffic, you're focusing on your VIPs and everybody else can get a personalized bot. They can get, you know, greeted with that experience you just did, but that's not what you want to do to your high intent buyers. Well, so I've raised the question is how do you know if they're new, how do you know they're high intent? Other than, well, go ahead. No, go ahead. Because you don't really know what they've done before they got to your website necessarily. Yeah. So if it's a first time buyer, you're right. You don't have insight into their um, historical behavior on your website. But Mm -hmm. we do surface third party buyer intent. So you could see if that buyer has been searching for keywords that might resonate with your company. In addition, you could see how other visitors at that account 
have engaged with your site to date. So it Mm -hmm. might not be Andy has really high buyer intent, but Revenue.io or Andy Paul podcast, they've actually been back time and time again, and we're seeing that their intent is starting to rise. We do reverse IP, so we know which company you work for, um, which is correct most of the time. Um, And then if you're cookied and you're a return visitor, we'll know exactly who that person is. So a lot of it is about surfacing that first-party website buyer intent on the Mm -hmm. account level, as well as the third-party buyer intent on the account level. So you can see um, how they're behaving. And then we cross-reference accounts with our Salesforce target accounts. So we Mm -hmm. only have our reps focus on our X amount of target accounts that we have defined in Salesforce. Yeah. So you're doing it. It's part of your ABM motion then. Exactly. Got it. Perfect. All very interesting. Yeah. I I, I was just thinking to myself when you're talking about doing reverse IP, it's like, God, I'm so old. I remember when that was new and exciting when you could do that (laughs) with website visitors. It was like, what? You can do that? Yes. Uh, it's, It's magical. Yeah, that was that was very cool. That was a long time ago, though. So, uh, well, Maura, thank you for joining me. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me, Andy. It was super fun. Longtime listener, it's fun to be on the show. Thank you oh, again. Well, thank you. Yeah, and if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, Maura McCormick Rivera on LinkedIn is is the best place to find me. Perfect. All right, Maura, thank you. Thanks, Andy. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank our guest, Maura Rivera, for sharing her insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for your help with that. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.